in my entire childhood, all I want to do is be a rancher. That's all I want to mm-hmm. do. And yeah, he'd tell me, no, just do anything else. You don't want to do this. Really? Get a good job. Take your weekends off. Go to the lake. Don't, <laughs> you don't want to. And I, no, 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 no I'm not going to do This it. is the Real Food, Real People podcast. If you've ever gotten beef at Whole Foods, it may have come from the real life cowboy that we talked to this week on the podcast. We travel to Tenasket, Washington, and meet Austin Olma. Again, real-life cowboy. That's what he does. He had his spurs on when we recorded this interview in Tenasket. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this is documenting my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. So why do you do it, what you do? I mean, I imagine it's a huge amount of work, and it's your life. You live right here in the middle of it. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do since I could walk or talk. It always had something to do with cows. So it's the animals for you. Yep. Explain that. Why do you love them? Ever since I can remember anything outdoors I did, there was a cow involved. Every almost My wife jokes every trip. She's like, if you're in a good mood, there's a cow at the end of it. I I just, I can't explain it. Always been involved with cattle, always loved it. Doesn't matter if it's miserably hot in the summertime. <laughs> if you're working cows, it's good. And it's freezing cold in the wintertime. If you're working cows, it's still better than anything else I've ever wanted to do or thought about doing. So, man, dealing with animals. that See, that was always the thing I didn't like to do. Because animals are unpredictable. Yep. And they can make your life... Oh, pretty it, miserable. Yeah, no, it, it gets frustrating at times, and you get mad, but at the end of the day, there's there's nothing else in this world that I'd rather do than yeah. be working with cows. What about the food part of it, producing food? What what's what does that feel like? I, I take a lot of pride in it. Um, I think we grow, raise the best, cleanest protein source that the world's the world can eat that mm. they've ever been able to eat that the customer can buy and feed their family it's the safest most nutritious way and tastiest way to feed your yeah. family that's not the narrative that you often hear out there though no no i'm i'm public enemy number one in some <laughs> people's eyes well why is that why is there such a different story it's i mean you any of these podcasts you know these these egg podcasts we, we say the same thing it's the disconnect it's, you know, I don't know what the, the exact number is, how many generations people are removed from agriculture. You know, yeah. you, you always hear the story of kids think milk comes from the grocery store. It doesn't come from a cow. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it, <clears throat> things like these are, are, are the, I guess, the gateway for us to try and open that door and try and bridge that gap to help educate people on, you know, where their food comes from, how it's raised, why it's good for them, why it's good for the environment. And this is... The only thing we can do, I think, to help bridge that gap. Well, I, you know, I think there is certainly a disconnect. That's what this podcast is all about, is trying to help close that because lots of people don't have the, the privilege of being able to, to be on a farm very much, if at all. Yep. But to give them the chance to hear directly from people like you, no filter, nothing in between, um, I, we believe in it deeply. But yep. I also wonder... You know, thinking about the narrative about beef, it's not just the disconnect, though, is it? The isn't it the? I mean, there's a lot of information out there, facts, and I use air quotes because they're disputed, 
and and it seems like any person in any stance that they have on this one way or the other they have facts to back it up mm -hmm. to say oh you know it's destroying the environment oh no it's sequestering carbon this is actually you know it's oh you know beef causes cancer oh no it's actually really healthy for you how do you wade through all of that from your perspective how do you tell people no this is what's true and this is what's not true it, it seems like that's it's that's the same with everything it doesn't matter if it's beef you can take football you know yeah. one week we have the concussion movie next you know football it's yeah. it, it, it doesn't the every side every everything is two sides and it seems like nowadays you either hate it or you love it and there's not much middle ground in between on just about any topic. And that seems to be the society of the world we live in right now. And for me, you know, you, I believe in what I do. I truly believe and I love what I do. And that's what keeps me motivated and keeps me going. Cause in my heart of hearts, I believe what I'm doing is good. It, the good that I'm doing way outweighs what anybody else thinks the evil I'm doing is. Yeah, I guess yeah. if that makes any sense to anybody. Makes sense to me. Well, and I, I think there's a lot of disinformation going on too, that being a popular term right now. And, yeah. you know, who, who's telling the truth and do we need some official governmental arbiter of, you know, what dif disinformation is and, and stopping it? Yeah. I think in this world of food, no, not that I'm promoting that we have, you know, somebody step in and, and say officially what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. But I think people, when they dig into it, can see there is misinformation about what you do. Yes, 100%. And, and you know, it, it just comes down to the people, right? If you can take the time to do a little bit of research, think for yourself for just a second, just go on, you can go on the internet and, but, you know, you have to do it with an open mind. Don't, don't start looking for the answer that you've already kind of come up with yeah. sit there and, and, and sift through it and, and people will figure it out. I mean, um, you know, we we run a lot of cows in, in open range areas. So I deal with public and people and it's different for me because I'm a much younger generation for, for a cow rancher. I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years old. So there's not a lot of us at this age and the old, I call it the old guard, you know, somebody, you know, new moves in the area, buys a, a 20 acre piece and they're going to live out in the country and, you, and we're in an yeah. open range area. You don't fence it out. So going to be cows in your yard and you know, nobody wants cows in the yard. If I have a cow get out here and it gets in our yard, my wife is chewing me up and down. So yeah. I understand that. And you know, the older generation that had been here for 40, 50 years, it was just pff, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I find, you know, you, you take time to talk to people. Like, hey, this is, you know, what we're doing and, and involve people. Don't just, this is what I do. I don't care what you have to think about it. You know, try and have these conversations with people and, yeah. and, and, and involve them. Tell them what we're, you know, I always, you know, people want to stop. I, I want, I mean, I have a job to do. I don't want to sit there and talk about, you know, Hey, <laughs> hey, you know, we're moving cows this direction today and tomorrow. Just, you know, keep an eye out where we're doing this. And, and people in my nine times out of 10 are happy. They, they respect you for, you know, kind of involving them or letting them know, not, I'm just, just going to run over the top of people kind of deal. Um, so I, I, I it's you, I have a, a unique kind of relationship with people yeah. that not a lot of other ranchers have or and, and it's very area specific you know? well and it's about respect yeah too um people need to have a respect for growing food and farming and ranching and what you're doing but those of us that come from that world have to respect the fact that they come from a different perspective and and may not understand or have a different thought on what needs to be done yep right so 
And again, that's what this podcast is about. At least having the respect to have the conversation, like you're saying too, you do it one-on-one. We do it with a lot of people here, but it's just more and more of those conversations need to happen. Mm -hmm. I think to, to bridge this disconnect. What do you think is the answer thing? You you just, you got to talk it out. Even if it's uncomfortable, people are mad at you. You got to have that conversation. You know, it's just like anything, just like marriage, any relationship. I mean, if there's a problem (laughs) and you don't start talking about it, it just becomes a bigger problem. And one day it blows up and it's not, it's not good for anybody when that happens. Well, and I think that's exactly right. I'm just thinking what happens to our food system if this disconnect, this divide between those producing the food and those eating the food deepens or worsens. I think it's, it's bad for all of those things that they're, people are telling us to, you know, that's that disconnect itself is bad for the environment because people don't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of other, you, I'm sure you experience it. Oh yeah. Like yeah. even just what you're describing two yeah. people moving into the country that aren't used to it that divide is, it can be a problem, Yep. but also in the food system too, what you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, not to sound, you know, really Debbie Downer doomsday. I mean, everybody has to eat. We all have to eat. So yeah. how far are the people producing this product going to be able to be pushed and bashed? And we're the type of people that it's been happening our whole lives or you know, we're kind of used to it, but I'm not going to say one day we're like, oh, we're not going to raise any any animals. We're not going to raise any crops. We're not going to do that because you guys, everything we do is bad. So we'll just shut up. Somebody's going to do it for the right price. But I I feel like even as a society, everything, we keep pushing this envelope. We keep pushing this, pushing. Eventually something's going to happen. Something has to happen to to change people's minds. And I I say it all the time, and I don't, it's probably not politically correct or anything, but us as Americans, we have it so good that we yeah. are creating our own problems. Mm-hmm. We create these problems that we think is a big deal because we don't have any real problems. You know, you know, we I've heard on other podcasts of yours and stuff. You know, we, we talk about you know salmon habitat and everything. That that's great. We we should we shouldn't be trying to wipe out everything. Right. But us as humans, right? We've built civilizations. We keep expanding. We keep growing. Well, what? In order to grow, to keep growing something, something has, there's a give and take, right? We, we start building houses anywhere. We're, we're taking away environment from animals to, to better ourselves. And then now we've gone so far the other way. It's like, well, well I, as a rancher, you know, I, we have to deal with stream banks on forest permits and stuff. We have to keep, keep, you know, keep the stream banks healthy right, for the fish. But then, you know, you drive over to the other side of the mountains and here we are, we're putting in a whole new subdivision, strip malls. And it's, I, I'm driving through and I can see this, this is all timber. Well, where, where's everybody freaking out about this? But yeah. God forbid I have too many cows go through a creek in one area and, and make it a little muddy. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. But we can, because yeah. it's pavement it, versus exactly. Yeah. It's always the, you know, if it's not happening in my backyard, I don't care. Well, it, it, yeah. it's happening in my backyard. People have a problem with it. But what happens over on the other side yeah. in their backyard? I don't, I don't say anything about it. Cause, well, nobody's going to listen to me anyways. <laughs> Stopping just briefly to thank our sponsors, and they include the Dairy Farmers of Washington. You can check out what they're up to these days at wadairy.org. One of the big things that they have going on is a tour of the dairies in the community where I grew up in Whatcom County. It's called Whatcom This Way. Uh, Play on words, W-H-E-Y. 
Welcome this way. Uh, check out uh, wadairy.org for more information. It's a self-guided tour happening in June, and you're invited to go check it out and see Washington State Dairies up close and personal and talk with the farmers themselves. It's very similar to kind of the MO that we have behind this podcast and what we're doing here on Real Food, Real People. Again, wadairy.org to check that out. Also, Mana Insurance Group sponsoring the podcast, and we appreciate their support. They're all about uh, protecting your financial future uh, and making sure that you have what it takes if and when things go wrong um, to not be devastated financially by any kind of problem or eventuality. Manainsurancegroup.com. Check them out online and also thank them for sponsoring the Real Food, Real People podcast. Now we go back to Tenasket, Washington, and continue our conversation with Austin Olma, a real-life cowboy there in Tenasket. So talk about what you do. I mean, obviously we've been talking about you raise beef. Yep. Describe your operation and what what do you do day to day? Yeah, we're a family cow-calf operation. It's uh, my my father, my brother-in-law, me and two hired guys full-time year-round. Occasionally, we hire a little bit of extra help when we're doing corn harvest or something. We we raise corn for silage, a little bit of alfalfa, and we try and custom, or not custom bale, we buy straw in the windrow and, and, yeah. and bale it down in like Mansfield and stuff if we can, or we got to buy straw and bring straw in to feed. Everything we raise on this place, we feed our own cows. Um We've kind of uh, we we've tweaked our feeding program as, as we've grown. Our cow numbers, our our, our uh, feed base has not grown, so we had to get more creative. So we we raise a lot of corn silage to feed our cows. We feed everything in feed bunks or portable feed bunks. All throughout the winter, we're moving those uh, portable feed bunks for our cows on corn pivots. And as we move them, as the mud and manure builds up around those, we pull the feed bunks, pile it up. In the springtime here, we load it all up in manure spreader, spread it right on that field. We can spread enough. We can spread enough manure now. We don't buy any fertilizer on our home place, mm. and we still have a surplus of it. We're not really in the right area to to sell that. We it's yeah. just, we're a small area here, yeah. but we bought a, a used belt trailer this spring, and we're going to start hauling it. We have a couple lease farms, you know eight to 12 miles from this place. And we'll start hauling that to, so we don't have to buy fertilizer because yeah. everybody knows right now that's. Well, it's expensive. Expensive. And this is the sustainability nutrient cycle, yep. right? Yep. yep. So then on our, our cow calf deal, um, we're a hundred percent spring calving cow herd. We start calving uh, heifers second week of February. Our cows start the first of March. Um, we wrap up beginning of May Generally, May, we start turning out. We're shipping cows this week. We've shipped out um, to two different areas that we run cows in the summertime. Um, we kind of stage all our cows. 70% of our cows are all ran on national forest permits. Hmm. June's when we can start going on those. So we stage all these cows, get them close to their permits, start moving them up into permits. I spend all summer riding, moving cows, fixing fence, working on, I shouldn't say moving cows first. I ride, I fix fence first, <laughs> work on water development, springs, then move cows. This feels like I spend three days fixing fence on forest permits. One, I'd rather be moving cows every day, but I have fence to maintain too. So you're actually out there riding horse, yeah. moving cow, like legit yep. cowboy stuff. Yeah, yep. about, it's 
six at least six days a week you know mixing one day on the side by side moving salt and fixing a water trough and stuff and when we have some areas that you still can't get access with a side by side you have to pack everything you need and just because it's what too steep too steep too too brushy timbery and it's areas where they they don't want any roads or anything for Mm -hmm. you know different wildlife habitat and stuff um so i mean i take it for granted but i I get to be out there in the woods and stuff i know people they get to vacation that's what they want to do they want to go camping (laughs) i I work here and and, you know as long as the mosquitoes aren't eating you alive it's a great day yeah um so throughout the summer we're moving cows um back here at the ranch and our our lease um, farm ground my brother-in-law and dad kind of they do all the farm my brother-in-law he's kind of in charge of all the farming and stuff so they're busy putting up hay and we we don't put up a pile of hay we mainly do corn silage just to get that tonnage off of the acreage that we have Mm -hmm. uh rolling to fall here september generally third week of september we get our first frost so we're flying trying to chop corn um, and then at the same time, starting to gather, move cows, uh, bring cattle back home here in October, start weaning. We, we background and feed all our calves here until about January, get them to 800, 850 pounds. And then we're in a, a gap program, global animal partnership. We're a gap for certified farm, non GMO. And so pretty much all our calves go to beef Northwest and they're all getting marketed through whole foods. Hmm. That's kind of the niche we're in right now. I mean, it, it's, it's a program we got into about five years ago and so far it's worked really well for us and um, we like it and they like our cattle. So they keep buying them. So it it works, works well for us. So then by the time we get to January, start shipping them back out again, we're right back here into February and we started and it never stops. The the cycle continues. Talk about corn silage as feed. That's different than like feeding straight corn yeah. as grain, yeah. right? Because yeah. it, it like that's more like a dairy forage where you chop the whole plant to yeah. eat all the green. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting the whole. I mean, we 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 you know, there's six inches of stubble left. You know, we yeah, yeah. we take the whole plant um, yeah to feed the cow. So I guess you know what about this whole grass fed thing? And because it, that wouldn't qualify as grass fed because they're eating corn. Yeah. Well, but they're eating it differently than what people think of. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, I have no problem with grass fed grass finished beef. It's, I mean, if, if, you know, I, I've read some articles, you, you listen to people. I mean, if they want us all to stretch the grass fed grass finished beef, well, we don't have enough grass to, yeah. to, to, it's not sustainable or it's not scalable, I guess. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it's another niche deal. And we also, another little niche deal we do, we breed all our, our first calf heifers, cows that are having their very first baby to Wagyu bulls, which is a Japanese, it's a, you know, a, a niche high end right. steak deal through Snake River Farms, Snagger Beef. It, they're a super calving ease. They're great to use on first calf heifers little different looking animal mm-hmm. but we breed those and and sell those directly back to egger beef in uh the snake river farms branded program mm-hmm. so yeah always trying to find that niche whatever we can do to squeeze every nickel dime out of out of these cattle to keep keep growing this thing and keep moving forward so you're not just going through the motions doing it the same way you've always done it you're kind of looking no, for not at all and, cutting and, edge. and and once again we're 
a little different than most people just because, I mean, my dad didn't grow up on a ranch. My mm. dad grew up uh, on a five-acre farm in Canada and uh, right across the border there from Linden in White Rock, South Surrey. Okay, yeah. My grandpa did uh, commercial real He did whatever he could to make money and survive. And yeah. and my, my grandpa was able in the 70s to buy a ranch here in Tenasket with mm. two his brother and another guy. And that's kind of how... My dad kind of fell in love with he he loved animals. They showed steers. He he worked in a feedlot, worked in a butcher shop. He he loved animals, and so um, they'd come down here in the summertime, and he just loved it. And yeah. he graduated high school, did one year. I don't even know if he did one year of college. He said, no, yeah. I'm not doing this. Bought a semi, started hauling uh, paper products from Canada down mm. to California, bringing produce back up. Did that for I think about a year, maybe two. And at that time, the, the ranch that I grew up on, they kept having, they kept trying to have people run it. At least it, it just, nobody could stick. It, it wasn't working and they know what they're going to do. And I don't, my dad kind of talked my grandpa into it or grandpa's like, you know what? Nobody else can make it run. I guess what's going to hurt if you do it. And yeah. so we sold this truck. My grandpa hauled him down here. There was some more out machinery. There wasn't, there was nothing. And he's <laughs> like, well, have at it. And so he, it's it's an incredible story. I, I'm so lucky to be able to 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 hear how he started with. I mean, absolutely nothing. He married my mom. She grew up on a farm on Vancouver Island, hmm. and my grandpa on that side of the family. He he raised Black Angus cattle. He had a hog barn, some sheep, and they got married. And he leased my dad forty head of cows, and it's it's been history ever since then. You know, it, he he started you know, leasing out farm ground, leasing out part of the ranch to put up hay on shares. So he, he didn't have any equipment so he could have hay to feed his little group of yeah. cows and, and everything just kind of snowball. You know, he, he, he talks about, it. he's like the first time I went to the bank, they laughed me out of there. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, his, his bank, the bank manager at the time said, Derek, don't, don't, don't even try it. It's never going to work. And, he said, well, I don't really have anything else going, so I'm going to try. And he said, he's like, I bought a book on how to get a loan. He's like, pretty much mm. just said, just make up and lie. He's like, so that's what I did. <laughs> he's like, to finally get my first operating line, go buy a, a tractor, an old crappy used Oliver tractor. And yep. he's out there disking and rock. I mean, and, and he, I wasn't born yet. He, This was probably in the, the mid-80s. I wasn't mm. born until 91. So, I mean, my, my mom said all he did, he worked seven days a week you know it's a typical old story of those yeah. first generation guys you know sun up till sundown every day and uh he he just built it from there I remember he kept telling my mom when we get to 200 cows you can quit my mom's a, a was a lab tech mm. worked at the hospital so she had a good paying job he's like, that's the only way we sur- yeah. survived is because of her i was like i wasn't i was making zero money <laughs> but i i just had these goals he's like i guess or this vision and just kept and you remember that's our it's our family joke is when we get to 200 cows you can quit when we get to 200 cows well when we get to 400 when we get to 600 and it just keeps old. my mom is still working to this day uh so now the deal is when she turns 62 here she can retire or she's she's actually i shouldn't say she can she is drawing the line in the stand that's it so um yeah it's just crazy like he says, he's like, I was given an opportunity by my dad. I took it, I ran with it. And that's kind of how we've always been. He, he, he gave me opportunities when I was a young, I mean, young kid, 14, 15 years old to, to do things that I wanted to do with the ranch. I mean, a, a 15 year old kid, I was, you know, making breeding decisions and, uh, you know, he, he, 
moving cows or shipping cows. He's, you know what? He's like, I, I got to put up hay. You have to pair out these cows. They got to so pair out these cows. The cow and calf have to match, get on a truck, go to the right permit and survive that summer. He's like, you gotta, you gotta do it. And then, yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't think twice about it. Now I'm looking back. I'm like, I have two sons of six and a four year old. I'm like, good Lord. And, and, <laughs> In a couple of years, am I going to be able to let them do that? I, yeah. and, and I'm so, so lucky that he, he, and, and in my entire childhood, all I want to do is be a rancher. That's all I want to mm. do. And he'd tell me, no, just do anything else. You don't want to do this. Really? Get a good job. Take your weekends off. Go to the lake. Don't, <laughs> you don't want to. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I was going to become a vet. I was like, I want to be a beef cow vet. When I found out you can't just be a cow vet, you gotta I was yeah. like, oh, forget that. I don't like school that much. <laughs> I, I did go to college and, and, and I, I didn't want to. Oh, I, but he's like, you're not coming back here until you go to college. Mm. So went to college for three years, finished my last year on, online. We had a guy quit and we had a, we had uh, lost all our hay in a hay fire in 2012. Mm. So I was like, this is a good excuse. I'm, I'm staying. I'll finish yeah. online. Where'd you go to school? Montana State University. Okay. And, and I will say, you know, looking back, that was one of the best experiences, greatest things. I don't remember much from classes, but the, the, the people part of it, Yeah. getting into college, I, I tell the story all the time. I, my, my best friend from high school, we went to college together. We we're roommates and we were in Roski, which was the outdoor recreation, uh, dorms. So I'm like, oh, it's going to be a bunch of rednecks. No, it is all ski bums and everybody from yeah, Vermont. Yeah. And I'm like, we don't really, this isn't quite what I, but it was great. Cause I mean, I'm meeting the same thing we're talking about today. People I had no idea. And so we, you know, you, you talk and start to learn it. I mean, you talk about an eye opening experience. You're like, yeah. it was no different. Uh, so I, I started in animal science and then I sat to one class and learning why Buffalo get in a circle in the wintertime. Like, yeah, I should probably, I know cause it's cold and we're using our body heat to protect ourselves. <laughs> I should probably spend this money a little more yeah. better for me. So I switched into business and did a, yeah. got a business management um, degree, but just dealing with, you know, uh, how do I say this? Just, just different perspectives, di- yeah. different backgrounds on life. Like totally. That was such an eye-opening experience. It, the first, and I was in a uh, an egg uh, egg literature public speaking class, mm-hmm. and we had to somehow we got onto the topic of like um, migrant workers and stuff. And yeah, every kid in Montana was like, "Oh, we don't need migrant. We don't need illegals. You know, it's illegal, yeah, illegal." Yeah, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out, time out, time out, time out!" Understand the. Do labor you know stuff? that if we don't have migrant workers agriculture in america comes to a screeching halt yeah, i was what? like that's you know it, it's no different than you know any you know um, immigrants throughout time right you, uh-huh. you, you you're trying to come here to better yourselves yep you don't have anything so you you, you know you start it's hard to i don't want to sound disrespectful you start at the bottom you, you, yeah. less less um gosh what's the well, word i'm looking for you know jobs that not everybody yeah. wants to do the the kill plants yeah Picking apples, cherries. That's my, I mean, my family comes from a different part of the world than a lot of immigrants are coming from now, but that's the same story. Yeah. Started at the bottom. They hadn't came with nothing. Yeah. You go back a few generations. And I have all my, one of my very best friends that I, I work with daily. Um, he, his family, they immigrated to the U S from Mexico and, um, 
shoot, he had to do it twice. I got caught the first time, wow. hauled back across, came back, and hmm. he's raised his family here. He's got a daughter who's in college at Colorado State University. She's going in to become a, a lawyer, and his 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 parents, they worked in orchards. His dad ran heavy equipment. He's been uh, a ranch manager, cowhand guy, and, and you know, it, it it's really neat when you when you grow up in that and you can yeah. see, you know, we talk about the American dream. We we fantasize about it, but when you can see it, you know, for me, but my People family are doing it, it fa- yeah. my family, you know, I mean, it's not like there's that much difference when you drop across the border to Canada than it is here, but we're yeah. still came here because there was an opportunity up there. Yeah. My dad saw an opportunity here and we took it and ran with it. And yeah. that's, that's what still makes America so no matter how much us as Americans, sometimes we like to kind of downplay that or, or don't it, it's well, it just goes right back to the food thing, right? Such a disconnect. You've been here for six, seven generations. Your, your great great grandfather, the great grandfather that came here, he had a vision. He was going to try and better this for his family and look at where you are now. And, you know, I think people forget that. And I, it's so fresh for me. I'm first generation American. So it, I, I, res, I just respect that or I have uh I just understand that how how powerful and special this American dream and stuff is. So, how much food do you guys grow for people to eat here? How many how many cows are you caring for? So, uh, we care for this year. We calved out fourteen hundred and forty two cows. That's what was in the computer here. Wow. So we're just starting to ship everything out. So the numbers fresh. Um, yeah, started with literally forty cows leased to now fourteen hundred and and. My, we just anytime we thought there was an opportunity that we could take, we've taken it yeah. and, and and ran with it. Whether it was the best decision we ever made, <laughs> maybe sometimes it didn't work out, but we we just well, you have to take, take risks, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to miss opportunities. And make no mistake, I mean, we we have debt, we have operating lines and everything, just like a lot of other people. Like we joke about, like, debt is a hell of a motivator. Like, this has <laughs> yep. to work. Yep, and it does. It stresses you out. Just as my dad out, but we keep pushing. Back to that number, just thinking about the amount of food, what would you say average is per cow of meat that people can eat that that's produced? I would probably have to look Google that to know exactly what. Because yeah, well, ah, gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know that number of how many families in American. Yeah, that's only based off an acre. When many. you butcher a cow, you know, hanging weight. Yeah, and then, yeah. You know, obviously there's bone and stuff yeah, in that yeah, as well. But yeah, you're like you know, you few count. hundred pounds. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, sixty percent of a, a animal live weight is kind of what you budget for right. your hot carcass weight or or uh, yeah, your carcass weight. So. Mm-hmm. Jeez, I have to get my phone out and do yeah, some quick that's math. All, there. But that's a, a lot a of lot, food. A, well, and, and yeah, and it's not just me. Every single farmer's doing it, right? What are we? We used to say we're two percent of the population. I think now we might be down to one percent. <laughs> so yeah, I actually got the chance to meet with the head of the American Farm Bureau a few weeks ago, um, who was out touring my area. And I think the number that he was talking about this year, the latest, is one point four percent. And then of that, I know, you know, there's a lot of that, those folks who are m- really small hobby farmers yep. that, you know, they produce a little bit of food. But the bulk of the food that we eat is grown actually by less than 1% yep. of the population. Yep. It's yeah. crazy when you think about it. Um, it. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we can keep beating a dead horse here. You know, it's, it's <laughs> a disconnect. You know, I mean, we're you know, one, less than one. <laughs> 
not even a full person out of a hundred. If you, you, yeah. you're, you're looking at yeah. that is feeding. It, it's, it's, and you sit there and think about it. I was like, Holy moly. Yeah. We, it's mm-hmm. an uphill battle, but it, a lot of the, we've been dealing with the same problems for a hundred years. It feels like, I, you know, I, my buddy gave me an article the other day from, it had to be 1916. There's some lawsuit where they were trying to kick some ranchers off of a, a forest service permit. He's like, look, it's the same thing. The same threats that we deal with today, a yep. hundred years later. So you guys raise to that point, you guys raise some corn yep. as a crop. Do you raise grass like in fields or is the grass that the cows eat just out on range? We land? don't. Yeah. And that's, that's where we count. We you know we start talking about this beef production and fake meat and the real yeah. meat. Every single one of our cows grazes ground that is useless for anything else, except for timber harvest, you know, on right. our, our permits. But we don't, we don't have any, you know, cows on circles or anything like that. Everything that's farmable, we farm. So and it's not like, because that argument often comes up, well, what, what if you use that ground that those cows are eating the grass off of to grow vegetables and other exactly. things for, for humans to eat? Wouldn't that be way more efficient? Yep. Yeah, no. I mean, everything. I mean, you can you can look out the window here and see that steep hillside. It's rocky and there's sagebrush and a little bit of cheat grass and yep. June grass and a little bit of crested wheat. I mean, there's there's nothing a person can survive on yeah. out there. But a cow does very very well. Well, naturally, that's what they evolved to do. Yeah. They go around and they find every little bit and they. They graze on it, and being ruminants, they can turn low quality stuff into high quality fat and protein. Yeah, it's. I mean, we we say it all the time. It's it's like magic. It's like a miracle. This cow can take something that is completely useless to a human being and turn it into one of the cleanest, most powerful proteins that a human thrives and can survive on. And it's just crazy. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah, you see it all. I think you'll see a YouTube clip. You'll see something. Oh, I, I have a human. I can eat this grass. It's like, no, you, you, no, you cannot try it. Yep. <laughs> but they'll, they'll, they'll make a video of them chewing it up or mixing in a smoothie and yeah. it gets a couple million views. <laughs> and then there's some yeah. younger person who takes that and they run with it. Do you think the tide is starting to turn though? Like not everybody, certainly there are the loud voices out there that are super anti-meat and whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a growing awareness that protein, certainly, and now even fat is actually good for you and what our bodies run on. 100%. I, I do believe that there, I do think we're starting to, there is a little bit of a shift here, especially health has we, is, there's, you know, the divide there with eating healthy, being healthy, not being healthy. And, and you can see it with people and anybody who takes health into you know researches it or or takes it they they figure it out pretty quick that the proteins that we can raise are a thousand times healthier for you than anything that they're right now trying to create in a lab and if or by eating things that are non-meat sources i mean you can do it and there are people who have to do it for various health reasons and that's fine i'm not like an anti-vegan no Um, but at the same time, I, you know, my own personal health journey, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but within the past year, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, which is, you know, very rare in adults. It's usually diagnosed when people are young. So I guess I'm, it's rare, (laughs) not the thing that I want to be rare (laughs) about. Um, but 
with that, it's an autoimmune disorder. You know, for people who aren't familiar with diabetes, it's all about how your body produces sugar or um, processes sugar and insulin and all this stuff. I've had to change so much how I eat and it's been eye-opening for me, better sources of energy and just how much I was relying on sugar and refined sugars and different things like that. You know, I've never been a big time health nerd, but it's like beef is one of the main things I keep coming back to of what fuels me in a balanced way. Yeah. And it's how I'm, I'm much better managing my health generally and specifically now diabetes, now that I'm a diabetic. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy how, you know, those kinds of experiences make you realize, wow, what I used to take for granted (laughs) is, is maybe not the, the best way, you know, and what we, as a society, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years, you know, fat is bad. Everything's got to be low fat. Well, wait a second, you know, fat is fuel for your body. Yeah. Too much fat is bad. Oh, cholesterol. Well, what is the truth about how, you know, the cholesterol Mm -hmm. that clogs your arteries isn't necessarily the same cholesterol that you're eating. You know, it's produced by your body. Why is your body producing too much? You know, once you get into all of that, it's like, wow, getting back to the basics of simple foods for fat, protein, and veggies as well. You know, it just, that's what I eat now. Yeah, keep it. Simple. The simpler, you know, the little I'm not a health nut. I I eat out of the hot case at the mini mart quite a few times. I'm gonna say a day, but my wife would probably beg to differ on that. But uh, the 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 things you you read, the simpler you can make it, the better it is for you. Yeah. So why on earth would we want to move Bill Gates to synthetic meats? That good Lord has a a ingredient list. I can't even. I can't even pronounce half the words in the ingredients yeah. list. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's supposed to be more climate friendly. Yes. But I'm, from what I'm learning about all this stuff and all these conversations and about health and everything else, it seems like why don't we focus on helping farmers and ranchers who are already doing a better job than they're getting credit for do an even better job? Yeah. That's if you're worried about carbon footprint, that's what we need to be doing. Yeah. Rather than I, I can't imagine with all the other inputs a fake meat, you know, number one, I don't think it's healthy for yeah. you. Number two, how can the carbon footprint at the end of the day really be Well and, and not to because we can go down a serious wormhole here. How is us as America, I mean, we're powerful, we're the best country in the world. How, it doesn't matter what we do to change our carbon footprint to, yeah, to go because what if the rest of the world doesn't do it we're, we're yeah. wasting a lot of money and a lot of research and a lot of time doing something that is not right. in my mind it's not going to matter because if china doesn't hop on board yeah it doesn't look like they are they do whatever they want what does it matter what we do here it's yeah. not gonna I shouldn't say this but it's not gonna save the planet <laughs> well I think it is time for real talk on that. You know, it's not just a political talking point. It's about really what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's time to get practical. And that's where the farming community can be good at that. And that's what I always hear on a lot of different things, like give it to the farming and give it to farmers and they'll figure out a way to to do what, you know, whatever it is, they'll overproduce whatever you need to produce. That's just the way they're wired. So... Give it, give that to farmers as a challenge, and they'll figure it out. Yeah, and one hundred. I mean, we we you know keep records of our our, our sale weights and head counts and everything. And just in the last 
10 years, we've been able to improve, you know, our breeding practices, the, the, the cattle that we're bringing in to breed and, and the breeders we source this stuff from, they're improving. We're using genomics. We're using technology now to, to push this thing forward. We're increasing our, 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 our sale weights of these calves. Also, in the same time, decreasing the mature cow size, which if you decrease the mature cow size, your um, their intake is less on mm-hmm. resources. Right. So then we're able to run more cows on the same amount of ground with the same amount of um, um, feed ground or, you know, uh, production ground to mm-hmm. feed them. And so on the same amount of acreage, we're able to produce way more. Just in just in 10 years, we, we can speed things up and, and, and keep, Keep progressing, keeping this thing becoming more and more efficient. That's always our thing. Yeah. We got to be more efficient. The more efficient we can be, you know, as we grow here, yeah. If if we can grow this thing, but it's got to be efficient because that's yeah. the only way we make money is we do the most we can with the littlest input yeah. resources we have available. And you don't do that, you go broke. Exactly, in a hurry. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me here out to the ranch. Yeah. This is awesome to be here. Yeah, no, thank you for coming out. I, Hope I didn't ramble too much. No, <laughs> it, th- this, these are the real stories and the real information that we're trying to get directly from the people doing it, yeah. not through some marketing agency yep. that's cleaning it up and all making it perfect and pretty for, you know, I, I, I'm done with that. And I think a lot yeah. of, of others are too. So I, I appreciate you being willing to open up and just share yeah. straight from the heart. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for yeah, giving me a chance to, to yeah, be a voice out there. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 